Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. Joining me now, a friend to all, Ross Jackson from the Locked On Network, host of the Locked On Saints podcast, co-managing editor of Canal Street Chronicles. And uh, I there, there's there's some other things on the bio I'm leaving out, Ross, but if I read all of your accolades, we wouldn't start talking about the Saints until about 725. So let's just get right into it, man. Good morning. How are you? That sounds perfect, man. Good morning, brother. Good to be here with you, man. Appreciate you having me on. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Um, you know, after rewatching some of the Saints game yesterday, I, I, I I don't know how great I felt after that. It, it felt like watching a snuff film. It was just gross. Um, I, I don't even know where to start, man. Let's just let's just start with what I think was the biggest issue, and we can we can point to to, to the various reasons why in just a moment, and I'm sure you will. But the offensive line, uh, boy, it, it's it's as bad a performance as I've ever seen in the Sean Payton era. Um, it was, I think, the biggest part of the loss on Sunday. And I guess my first question, Ross, is what what's the biggest reason why? Is it Eric McCoy not being able to sort of pick up the the, the protections that he's responsible for, which led to just bad play from Oise and, and and Pete and others? Was it not having the coaching staff or half of them or most of them on offense? Is it not having a guy like Breeze who constantly checks in and out and all that other stuff like there, there are a lot of places you could go, but what's the biggest reason in your mind that the Saints offensive line stunk as much as they did on Sunday? I, I do think, I mean, the, the overarching thing, and you heard it from just about everyone in their postgame pressers and, and, and extended conversations amongst the organization, the team, the coaches, well, the coaches that were available for that game, uh, but it, it came down to communication. And so it, it's a little bit of a... a, a of a combination of some of the things that you mentioned. And it starts with the transition away from Drew Brees, where Drew Brees, over the course of the last probably 14 of the 15 years that he spent with the team, he called all the protections, all the IDs, everything like that. That was what he did. And he started that his second year with the New Orleans Saints. And so now you're you're transitioning away from that responsibility lying with the quarterback and instead it's going to the center which isn't unique across the nfl actually it it was more unique that drew Brees had been doing that for 14 seasons and so i think it's a combination of that transition the fact that the person that you spent all off season making that transition to in that responsibility the person that went and crafted their language crafted their communication so that it would work with everyone on the offensive line, work with Jameis Winston, work with everybody on offense, that that person ended up getting hurt, and then you end up in one week trying to convert that communication from one player to another without the offensive coaches being available throughout that week. So I think that it's kind of a combination of all the different things, and then, of course, that those same coaches not being available on the sideline during the game. So it, it, the bottom line is that it really came down to lack thereof and the sort of recipe that led them there is the combination of the, the, the responsibility changing, the change of who that responsibility was going to in the last moments, and then, of course, the lack of ability to be able to properly prepare for that shift 
going into this week two game against the Carolina Panthers. And then, you know, we have to credit the Carolina Panthers, too, for just putting together a very good defensive game plan, extremely good exotic uh, uh, pass rush packages throughout the game, continuously mixing it up, going at the interior of the offensive line while also overloading the edges. I mean, they gave the Saints a ton of trouble in and of itself based upon what it is that they put out on the field on Sunday. ESPN 1420. You know, I know some folks point to Jameis, and uh, somebody was, a listener was saying yesterday, you know, he barely audible. He barely, I said, look, you know, you're so used to Drew Brees, as you pointed out, and that was sort of his responsibility in terms of, um, you know, adjusting at the line in terms of a blitz. And all right, that's the Mike linebacker. Look here, we got two in the A gap. Then that got shifted to Eric McCoy. I guess after that, maybe Ruiz. Now, as Sean Payton said, it also, you know, the play caller and the quarterback currently, McCoy's the main guy, but they, they can do that as well. I think, you know, mm-hmm. that's where sort of the not having the entire staff to adjust in the game and and I don't know, man. They just they were they were unprepared and as as the game went on, it they just they didn't have an answer. I it, it hit me pretty early on, kind of late in yeah. the first quarter, like it's not happening today. Like I, you know, I know, I know the week before there was, I have a friend that's a a Packers fan and he, you know, he was delusional thinking that they were still in the game, like late in the third quarter. And I'm like, it's not no disrespect here on Rogers. Just when you watch how a certain game plays out in the trenches and, and how things are going, it's going to take some kind of miracle to completely shift this and turn this around. It seemed pretty early on that that game was, was done, even though it was still like a 10 point game and you know what, late third or whatever it, from the get go, it just felt like, all right, you know, maybe some of us were foolish thinking they could overcome all of this, but it just wasn't happening on Sunday. Yeah, it was a rough one. And I mean, you could tell it was going to be a long day from the very beginning. I mean, that opening drive that took the Carolina Panthers five plays to go 75 yards, and they did it through the air, and then receiving with Christian McCaffrey out of the backfield, everything you just really saw on the defensive side tone just be set right away. And then the offense kind of followed it up with with all of its shaky things. You know, on, on the idea of Jameis Winston audibling and, and changing out of plays and things like that, very obviously, yes, he does have the ability to do that. We saw him do that. I mean, that's the reason that he threw both touchdowns, or, or at least one of the touchdowns that he threw against the Jacksonville Jaguars in preseason. So he does have the freedom and the ability to be able to do that. But I, I think what has to be sort of remembered in that situation is that you audible based upon what your pre-snap reads are very clearly their pre-snap reads were not accurate. And so unless you're seeing what's coming, you're not audibling to try to counter it. So when you see the offensive line and the quarterback having trouble identifying where pressure is coming from, of course they're not audibling because they're not seeing where the pressure is coming from correctly. If they're able to make those identifications and those protection checks at the line of scrimmage accurately, then A, you wouldn't have seen the amount of pressure that you saw, particularly the amount of immediate pressure that you saw on Jameis Winston throughout, nor would you have, and, and in addition to that, you would have seen them audibling to counteract all that. So if you can't make the reads at the line of scrimmage, which the Saints very clearly struggled to do, then you're not going to be able to audible and change the play because you don't know what you're changing the play. That's right. So, and- I, you know, and so I think that it's a little bit, uh, it all comes down to that communication factor you saw several procedural penalties as well, the false starts, the delay of games, the timeouts as the play clock you know, ticked down. 
all of that a product of the same thing. So that's what you look to improve going into next week. Some of it self-corrects itself as you get pieces back in terms of the availability on the coaching staff. But some of it is that, you know, this offensive line doesn't get healthier next week. The expectation is that Eric McCoy is going to miss some time. So you're still going to have to figure out exactly how it is that you counteract all of this. Ross Jackson, our guest uh, at Ross Jackson Nola. That is a Twitter handle. Go give him a follow if you're not already. You know, I do think, Ross, you know, a lot of what unfolded, it's it's not like it's – it doesn't seem like it's an issue where, oh, you can't get this fixed. Now, obviously, they missed Eric McCoy and – and there was a lot. There was they missed a lot on Sunday. You know the ten key players they were out with injuries. The, you know the eight coaches. Um, but the O line, you know, going into the season, it was I think many of us felt like the biggest strength on this team when they were completely together as a unit. Not having McCoy hurts, but I I think, you know, the Patriots and what Belichick's going to try to do bring a few players in the A-gaps like Carolina did and then kind of go from there. How do the Saints handle it? How do they adjust from the start? I mean, if it, it's, it, was a, it was night and day, right, the performance from week one to week two. I felt like going into the season, the team that had the widest gap between their ceiling and their floor was the Saints. Um, I, I could kind of make an argument for the Packers, but it wasn't as much based on – sort of on the field stuff as much as off the field issues, right? Um mm-hmm. and so I, I I feel like we might have some more sort of extreme ups and downs with this team this year. I hope last Sunday was sort of the worst you see of them this year, but you know, and, and it might be. But I also hope that uh, you know, the Sunday before last wasn't the best you see this year. But I I feel you know, I feel like this team it, it felt like in the Peyton Breeze era there weren't that many times where you saw the Saints just get completely handled. I mean, even in games where they might be thoroughly beaten, you look at the final scores like, well, you know, they only lost by eight. You sort of talk yourself into it. I think they're going to be games where, you know, one week it's it's a it's a sizable win, the next week it's just a difficult loss. Where are you at with the sort of floor and ceiling with this team, and and what do you anticipate seeing sort of week to week for a team that is in some regards, talented, but, of course, going through, I would call it a transitional season in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you hit it there that the, the gap between their ceiling and their floor is going to be wide this season, and that's generally the case when you have a team that is transitioning out of a Hall of Fame quarterback. Usually teams aren't successful when they transition away from the Hall of Fame quarterback. And in some cases, you, know, you have a little bit of a gap year there due to you know changing to a quarterback that's not seen as your starter. It's a little bit different for New Orleans because the ceiling is higher than generally what you would imagine for a team that's transitioning out of that quarterback and out of that, that play caller, that signal caller, however it is that you want to look at it. So I, I do think that you know it's going to be a little bit of a volatile volatile season and it, it brings you back to where you were in the early portions of Drew Brees' career, you know, 2007 through 2010 years where things were, you know, very up and down for a variety of different reasons, but you still knew that you had a very good team there that you had the pieces around. I, I think that the other thing that happens with this team too, is that they get better throughout the season, not only on the offensive side, just in terms of building, communication and rhythm expectation all that but you're going to get a ton of players back right after that bye week or around the bye week i mean 
Quan Alexander and Eric McCoy are newly added to that list of players that should be coming back within the next couple of weeks, along with Marcus Davenport. But then after the bye week, you're looking at having players like David Onyemata and Michael Thomas. You know, these players also making their return to to the team. And so I do think that this team gets a little bit better, or not even a little bit, but has the capacity to get much better as the season goes along. They just have the early bye week here to, to assist them in that for once. So, I mean, actually kind of good that they week for the first time. But I do think that it's going to be a volatile season. It's going to be one that's very hard to uh, try to predict on a game-by-game basis. And, you know, back to the, the original point, you saw what the Carolina Panthers' defense did to this New Orleans Saints offense, the trouble that they had communicating, the trouble that the wide receivers had winning off of the line of scrimmage and giving Jameis Winston a place to go with the ball immediately. Some of the bad decisions that Jameis Winston was put in situations that, you know, he ended up making the, you know, 2.8 rushing yards uh, per carry in this game, the 0.6 rushing yards per carry by Alvin Kamara. And then you look at the, one of the greatest defensive minds in the game coming up next week, you have an immediate measuring stick to see just how much the variation can be for this team. They come on and have another flat performance, or do they end up bouncing back against a formidable opponent, particularly over on the defensive side, knowing that their defense should be able to help them hang around in this game in Foxborough. So it, it, it'll be, they'll, they're going to be one of the most intriguing and interesting teams to watch, if nothing else, but for the sort of high variance you're going to get from this team throughout the year. ESPN 1420, our guest, Ross Jackson from the Locked On Network, host of Locked On Saints podcast, co-managing editor of Canal Street Chronicles. Um, Ross, the um, I'm going to make the, the, this next question difficult because I'm going to take a few things away because it was, it, was, it was bad on Sunday for the Saints. Aside from Blake Gilligan's five of his six punts, one of them was bad. Aside from five of his six punts, Deontay Harris's kick returns, and DeMario Davis, was there anything else that you would draw as, you know what, that was a positive on Sunday, or did I just take them all away from you? No, no, not at all. I do think that there's that there those are still there, and I would say probably I would lead off with Peyton Turner, the first-round rookie for the go. New Orleans Saints who had four pressures in this game, three tackles for a loss, seven defensive stops, you know, and a sack as well. And, 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 you know, he, he started off struggling in this game. He had the early uh, roughing the passer penalty where he kind of crawled in late and low on Sam Donald, just something you can't do in the NFL that you probably could have gotten away with in college. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, that could have harmed his confidence. It could have put him in a situation where he felt like, you know, a, he made a bad decision or B he needed to be less aggressive but he was probably the most aggressive and the and carried the most tenacity with him from any player on the defensive line for the Saints throughout that game. So I would say that the young talent, particularly the rookie talent uh, and the secondary, were two pieces that really stood out for me as positives for the New Orleans Saints. Usually at this point, two games into the season, we're talking about the Saints leading the NFL in 20-plus yard plays and 40-plus yard plays and things like that right now. The Saints not even in that conversation on the defensive side. So that's all good news for them. But uh, I would say that the best highlight for me throughout that game was how impactful Peyton Turner was with the opportunity opening up for him with Mar- uh, with Marcus Davenport as well as Tana Pass you know, out for that game. How, how much stock do you put in the defense giving up, I don't know, 383 yards in a game where, you know, Carolina had the ball for almost – 
you know, two-thirds of the game. Um, they, <laughs> I mean, six first downs on offense means you're not, you know, you're, you're not on the field much offensively. I know the Saints struggled on third down a lot. It seemed like the defense kind of just hung in there as best they could. It's not, it's not a tape you would watch and say, boy, this was a good performance here. But how much could, like, it, it's not like, I don't know. It's not like you came out of that game um, super worried about the defense, whereas, you know, I think all the concern really revolved around the offensive line and, you know, the worst offensive performance of the Sean Payton era. But defensively, is there an area that you come out of that maybe concerned? Uh, perhaps maybe Zach Bond in his first start after a great preseason. How much do you really put into the Saints on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, from week one to week two, you know, uh, heading into this mm-hmm. game against New England, where are you at with the Saints, D? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that you know my biggest concern over on the defensive side right now is that will linebacker spot next to Mario Davis. Now, Zach Bond didn't have the easiest of matchups there with Christian McCaffrey and his first start at the will linebacker position, that's for certain. But and the other part of it to consider was that it wasn't really the will linebacker's assignment originally to match up with uh, Christian McCaffrey. It sounded like from the production meetings that you know, the broadcast team had with the teams that C.J. Garner-Johnson was the guy that was apparently supposed to match up with, with CMC. So I think that that would probably be where I would watch moving forward is that will linebacker position because you have Quan Alexander who's going to be out for at least the next two games as he was moved to injured reserve before this last matchup. But overall, I think there are some positive takeaways for this defense. They only gave up nine points in the second half. They really buckled up or really, really kind of, I would say, tightened up quite a bit in the second half, despite the fact that Carolina really never took their foot off the gas. They started to at one point early on in the third quarter and the Saints defense made a couple of stops, and they started to rev things up again and put the ball back in the air and try to put extra points on the board to distance themselves from the New Orleans Saints. And so I, I would say that that's probably what I would take away is how well this defense responded to the adversity. But giving up the 17 points in the first half, I think that you'll take that when your expectation is that your offense can easily put up 17 points in the first half. You just didn't have that to counteract throughout this game. So I think that would probably be my biggest takeaway. I like the maturity of this defense for getting in tune and getting you know back in concert with one another late in this game. You had the great you had an opportunity there on the offensive side to you know score a touchdown with the ball back with getting the ball back with a two minute warning in the uh, second quarter with getting the ball back at the top of the second half. You just weren't able to do anything with either of those possessions. That, to me, comes down more to the offensive concerns than it does come down to the defensive concerns. ESPN 1420, Ross Jackson, our guest, at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. Give him a follow. Patriots, Saints, last thing, Ross, coming up this Sunday. Uh, New England, they turn it over a bunch against um, you know Miami Week 1. Cleaned it up. Didn't really didn't didn't have any turnovers against the Jets. They won by I think twenty five to six was the final. I don't have the the, the numbers in front of me. Um, Mac Jones was twenty two of thirty, hundred eighty six yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Just kind of very conservative. And the Patriots they've been they've been struggling in pass protection early this year. So you know look, looking for Peyton Turner, Cam Jordan, these guys to create some pressure, but. I see a game where the Patriots, if it's if it's anything like they were against the Jets, where they were able to you know win, 
they're going to play more of uh, let's not beat ourselves. And they've got the rookie quarterback to do it. I think they've got the play caller to do it when they need to. Um, what What is your, you know, I know we're, we're five days out here, but what's your early gut telling you about, gut feeling telling you about this game coming up Sunday for both sides? The Patriots, what they bring to the table, and then the Saints after, you know, two polar opposite performances to start the season. Yeah, I do think that the Patriots bring with them an offense that can play ball control, that can, you know, be game management, and that can, you know, run the clock, which is something that the Saints will have to be aware of. The Saints so far have been pretty good against the run so far this season, which is unsurprising. It's what their sort of identity has always been on the defensive side. Their passing defense is something that has still continued to stand out uh, throughout all of this, despite, you know, giving up 26 points last week. So, uh, look, I think that the Saints have a a matchup that you shouldn't count them out of going into this week three matchup against the New England Patriots. If you look at the way that the Saints opened the season versus the way that they followed that performance up in that loss to the Carolina Panthers in week two, you have to imagine that the Saints are somewhere in between those two performances that you can't crown them yet based on their week one and you can't you know condemn them yet based on their week two performance because they're very likely going to fall somewhere in between the two i think if they fell right in the middle of that then that makes them a good enough team to win this game going up against the new england patriots especially if they get all their coaches back and communication gets right that's going to be the biggest piece of it the big thing would be if the saints can take advantage of the uh, New England Patriots run defense, which right now in terms of efficiency is 24th in the NFL. So I think you look to try to get Alvin Kamara in that run game going to help support the passing game. Yeah, couldn't run at all against Carolina. Ran very well week one against Green Bay. Uh, Patriots minus three on the betting line right now. Should be a close game. Um, and yet with this team this year, it's might be, like we said, biggest gap between uh, floor and ceiling. But as you pointed out, Ross, a lot of reasons, a lot of players, a lot of coaches, they should be getting back for this one uh, and and a big one. And I know after that, they're finally heading home after being away for over a month, and they're going to be mm-hmm. happy to do that. Um, how, how did you make out, man, with, with the storm and everything? Are you guys doing okay? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're all good. I, I was actually out on the West Coast, and we were flying back the morning that where we were planning to fly back in the morning that the uh, the storm hit, and so we just you know moved our flight and everything. So we're we're all good, family safe, everybody's good. It took a little while, but finally heard from everybody um, down there that I needed to hear from and everything. So so all good. I appreciate you asking. Yeah, great to hear that, man. Well, all the best. Uh, tell Deuce and Maddie we said hi, and we'll talk to you again in the future. Absolutely, Scott. Appreciate you, buddy. Always a pleasure to be here with you. You got it. That is Ross Jackson, guys. Give him a follow on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola. Check out his stuff uh, over CanalStreetChronicles.com, co-managing editor there, his podcast, Locked On 